Welcome to Behavioral Health in the New Normal, a podcast developed by Prestige Community Resources, aimed at bringing healing back to our community through knowledge, expert advice, and positive messaging. The show is a joint venture between the Department of Behavioral Health and Prestige Community Resources, funded by SAMHSA in response to the challenges currently impacting our communities. Hosted by Paul Wells Sr., who uses over 30 years of extensive clinical social work experience to conduct insightful interviews with experts and professionals on a wide range of topics that impact the Washington, D.C. community. From behavioral health crisis to education to financial hardship and anything in between, this show will provide information and insights that will surely make a difference in your life. Welcome to the podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Philip Terry Smith. Dr. Smith, welcome to the podcast today. I'm glad to have you. It's my pleasure to be here. Dr. Smith is, yes, we're excited. We have a very important topic to convey, and uh, I want to welcome you and the other guests who are going to join us and view this podcast. But Dr. Smith is an assistant professor of sociology at Anne Arundel Community College. He also maintains a private practice as an executive and personal coach, counselor, and organizational consultant. So again, Phil, thank you so much for being here. I like to set great, great. I like to set the stage if, if you would allow me to, and then we really want to hear from you and your experience and your expectations during this challenging time of the pandemic. Uh, but today we're going to focus on emergency response, and emergency response includes any systemic response to an unexpected or dangerous occurrence. The goal of emergency response procedure is to mitigate the impact of the event on people and the environment. Emergency response is a phase of the disaster management cycle that often attracts the most attention and resources. Emergency response is sometimes a cycle or process involving repeated assessment, planning, action to review, and to respond appropriately to the needs and capacities as they evolve. When an emergency occurs, such as this pandemic, the first priority is always life safety. That's first. The second priority is the stabilization of the incident. The plan should also include a process for damage assessment, salvage, protection of undamaged property, and cleanup. The four phases, as I understand it, of emergency responses are this, mitigation, preparedness, response, recovery, and of course, hazard vulnerability analysis. Due to the rising concern currently we're faced with, today we will focus on one type of emergency such as the current pandemic. A pandemic is any disease or condition that affects people in many countries at the same time. Behavioral health is where we're really gonna fine tune the discussion today. And behavioral health is essential part of the community resilience and recovery from traumatic events, such as the pandemic, after which individuals and first responders may experience a range of emotional, behavioral, physical, and cognitive responses. Individuals who had a mental health diagnosis or have yet to have a mental health diagnosis prior to the event, may experience re-triggering or increased severity of symptoms, which could be exacerbated by a decrease or a potential decrease in access to behavioral health care. 
And we're gonna talk about that today, how this pandemic has impacted the behavioral health of the people in the DMV and across the nation. And so, Dr. Terry, we're so glad to have you. And I thought we'd start by you just sharing a little bit about your background professionally and personally, if you would. Yeah, sure. So uh, someone asked me earlier where I was from, and that's kind of interesting, right? So I was, my family's is from Baltimore originally. We migrated up from the Carolinas during the Great Migration Days and uh, settled in Baltimore. And then my mom, sister, and I, and stepdad moved to Anne Arundel County. So I grew up in Anne Arundel County, um, just outside of, of Baltimore. In fact, I'm living, the home I'm living in now was the woods I played in as a kid. Like my family oh, had known it, right? You know, isn't that something? Okay. There, but I'm literally, I, I can look out my back window and I see a tree that I, you know, hung out at when I was a kid, right? So I've spent my entire uh, adult life in the Maryland, Washington, D.C. area. Um, I say I joined the Army to view to see the world, and I got stationed at Walter Reed. So I never mm. left more than 20 miles from it, home. Isn't that something? Okay. Um, I guess the other thing that this share is that, you know, how I got into the work that I'm doing, right? So I grew up near Fort Meade, my formative years. My teen years was near Fort Meade. Uh, my mom was the one that was in the military. So my career has been a, a wonderful blessing of three parallel paths, exposure to armed forces, the U.S. Army in particular, yes, um, exposure to humanitarian services through the Red Cross and academia. Um, I started as a volunteer when I was in the junior ROTC, Red Cross volunteer at Kimber Army Hospital in Fort Meade. So there's that connection there, right? And that sort of started my path towards the helping field and the humanitarian field, you know, being aware of what is, what is humanitarian care? It's, it's dealing with the humans, right? It's dealing mm-hmm. with in any, any circumstance, whether it's war, whether it's uh, conflict, whether it is um, uh, health or disaster uh, or an emergency, a health emergency, as we're talking about today, humanitarian care is looking out for the humans and our interactions and the things that are important for us in, in that regard. So it, I'm very, um, deeply embedded in the notion of international humanitarian work and taking care of people in both good and bad times. And that's sort of been the driving focus of, of much of my, my professional career. Again, I did the military piece. I was enlisted as an army medic, came out, worked for the American Red Cross for a number of years as a volunteer, and then went on full-time right after September 11th. And if you guys remember the uh, sniper incidents that we had in DC. I have a strong background in, in mental health and behavioral health uh, and addictions. And so I was the supervisor for mental health care for responders for 9-11. Uh, in particular, I, I was a shift supervisor at the Pentagon. Um, I, I arrived at the Pentagon on September 12th and uh, was responsible for what we call respite care, a timeout, if you will, for the first responders. Um, that's a tough population to work with. First responders wrap themselves in that response mode, that, that fight-flight mode. So they're constantly, we're adrenaline junkies, constantly yes. on high, constantly <laughs> wanting to engage and not wanting to disengage because folks go into that work wanting to help people. And it's pretty traumatic when there's no one to help, right, when you're, when you're talking about recovery. So a fair amount of my work around 9-11 was helping responders deal with that notion of we're here to help, but there is no one to help. Right? That's right. There were a number of fatalities, obviously, as we all know. So I did that in D.C. Uh, and at the Pentagon, then worked with the families of, of victims, both military and civilian victims at the Pentagon. And then I transferred up to New York after we did the memorial service here at the Pentagon. Transferred up to New York, 
supervised the respite centers on both sides of, of the World Trade Center. I spent my yeah. days walking back and forth from, from one side of the, the site to the other. And mm-hmm. uh, again, working with first responders whose first instinct is to help rescue and save. And of course, we were in a recovery mode. That short sort of shape, that, I was a volunteer during all of that. The local chapter was impressed with my work and impressed with the amount of time and energy because I was a full-time volunteer. I actually gave up a month of my life to do that, that response. And they asked me if I would come on as first executive director for DC and then later uh, promoted me to or, or hired me on as the senior director for uh, emergency services, military services, and family responses. That's my background in a, in a nutshell, right? Yeah. I appreciate how you, you integrated that because I am in receipt of your bio and it, it took me about 15 minutes to, to read all of the accomplishments, remarkable accomplishments and experiences you have uh, professionally and, and, and personally. And so tell me a little bit more about your work with first responders. So one thing that I've become very interested in recently is the impact that this pandemic is having on the service provider. Yeah. on the clinical staff particularly. We're yeah. being exposed in the group therapy room and also in our individual sessions sure. with a lot of trauma, expression of trauma, depression, high levels of anxiety, and we're still in the moment. We haven't gotten past the trauma yet. Yeah. And so tell me a little bit about first uh, your experience uh, working with the first responders, uh, and then secondly, in your private practice, what are you seeing coming into your practice in terms of pathology and, and response to the pandemic? Yeah, that's a great, um, great question there, Paul. So the first thing I want to say is you started off by talking about the stages of disaster and that we are still in, it's a strange disaster. None of us have, have lived through, at least not anyone that I'm communicating with regularly, has lived through a pandemic of this nature before. Last time we've seen something this, of this magnitude was 100 years ago, right? Yes. Um, but this is like a flood. This thing is slow rising and it ebbs and flows, right? So there isn't a beginning and there isn't an end. It's, and we've been in this now in the thick of it here in our area for, what, seven months, going on eight months now. And we're, we're getting ready to hit another peak, right? So we're, we're right. seeing kind of this constant uh, ongoing dredge, if you will, of being in this crisis and becoming complacent in this crisis. So the one thing I would share is let's stop being complacent. Let's go back right. to the same level of preparedness and personal accountability and responsibility, personal hygiene that we had in March and April when we were all scared when this thing was coming. We're back there, right? So we we got comfortable. We don't, you know, we we let our mask drop down a little bit. Haven't spent quite as much time washing our hands. Don't carry the bottle of hand sanitizer in our pockets anymore, but we need to, right? So let's let's get back to that, that level of responsiveness. Because it's a slow rising flood, Mm-hmm. And it's been sort of this ongoing challenge. It has worn us down and it's not given us rest, right? So right. a one time, a hurricane, a tornado, it hits, it strikes, it moves, it's done, we can recover. We're not right. going into recovery anytime soon, That's right? right? It's an ongoing process. So in that process, as care providers and as individuals, we have to keep ourselves vigilant. We have to give ourselves time out. I'll, I'll share with you just a quick anecdote with, with folks that are listening. This was scheduled. This interview was scheduled. This conversation was scheduled back to back with a client appointment that I had. And I was real clear. Paul, I need to set. I need to shut down That's for 10 right. minutes before we start. I need to reset Absolutely. myself and reset my office. Right. And I meant that both physically and mentally. I needed to shut down for a moment and take right. care of me. Right. That's Do right. A little bit Absolutely. of water 
actually walk around, you know, I walk around, I've worn a path in my carpet because I, I go out and do that little five minute walk around my dining That's room. Right. So that That's notion right. of self-care and refreshing self is important in this. So what I would share with the first responders that I, that I worked with, um, and again, these were guys, I, I want to take this back to 9-11 and that community just for a moment, because I worked with firefighters, military guys, law enforcement, FBI, you know, all of the immediate emergency response crews that were on, and that went on for months. We were in that mode for months. That particular population, much like those of us that are in the healing and helping professions, we don't like to stop doing what we do. We got into this work because it's what we, it's our passion, it's our own backgrounds that, that make us passionate about doing this work, and it's hard for us to pull away. And it's particularly hard when, we're, when we are afraid or we're anxious about being taken out of duty. Let me talk about that for a moment. Firefighters, law enforcement, military folks, if they, if they get stressed, this is part of the issue we're having with our law enforcement and the disconnect between law enforcement and the African-American community, right? When they get stressed and they react on that stress, that fight-flight syndrome, they react on that, you don't make right. the best decisions. That's so in right. disaster response, we'll take people off the line. Dude, you need to take some time out. You need to relax a little bit. So we had this conflict and often have this conflict of the passion that I have as an individual helper, law enforcement person that is in the field to do help for folks and my own emotional trauma of being in this moment constantly and having to take that time out and having to take time away, right? So now I'm stressed because I know I need to take time to take care of myself. So this notion of the respite centers was just that. It was a way to take mm -hmm. people offline to allow them to refresh and renew, to decompress, to do, we use SISM and all the other crisis uh, stress management techniques to bring these guys down, refresh them without taking them off the line so that they didn't have the compound uh, impact yes. of not being able to do what's in their heart to do. Interesting. Okay. Right? Okay. So the, the other thing that's fascinating is I, I call it the Hey Mr. Moment, and I will never forget this. There, there are a couple of incidents that just made me very mindful of this work and why it's important. There was a, one instance where I was walking by and then all the fire apparatus and the buses and um, unfortunately, I was next to the morgue, which compounded things, right? So right, right. I knew what was happening right next to where we were, right? So I was walking past this truck and I heard this, psst, hey, psst, hey. I'm like, what the? And I looked around and there was a firefighter, local Fairfax firefighter, and he wanted to talk to me, but he didn't want his peers or colleagues to see him talking to the mental health guy. Mm -hmm. Right? Isn't because that, that exposed a vulnerability that right. we don't like to do in our field. We don't always like to show that we're vulnerable and that we're feeling emotions as well. We, we will block that stuff off. As a counselor, I will put that facade on it. Really? That's right. Hmm. And Absolutely. pretend like it's not bothering me. My Absolutely. insides are just all turned up, right? And then I take that stress home to my family. Exactly. Right? So the important thing about this is really that notion of self-care and that notion that we are not in this alone, that our notion of being prepared for the expected and unexpected, and the notion of taking care of ourselves and others in this process is how we get through these types of situations. It's critical. And I'm glad you, you raised these significant points. I just included a symposium with uh, Montgomery County School System, and the focus of the behavioral health symposium was to talk to the parents on how to manage the increased anxiety levels of the children. And what we concluded with was that the parents are actually transferring their anxiety to the children. Mm -hmm. And so you're right. 
as practitioners, first responders, our state of mental health is contagious. Yes. It absolutely. is contagious. Absolutely. And whether it's good state of health and, and confidence and competence or poor mental health, and that is transferable. You know, our therapists here at Prestige and in my private practice are also overwhelmed. Like you yeah. said, this is something new for all of us. And it's, it seems like it's, there's no end in sight. So yeah. how do we provide clinical uh, interventions where there is no reconciliation moment immediately present? Yeah. And so I feel so inadequate as a therapist because I can't speak to that. Yeah. The journey, we're still in the journey. The yeah. other thing that I've noticed with the practitioners is we've moved to a completely different format of delivery. Oh, Tele yeah. Telehealth. Telehealth. Yeah. And what does that mean for us as practitioners? Now we're working in isolation. Yeah. We're not uh, teaming and debriefing cases. So this interaction of supporting one another is not as present as it was in our former state of delivery when people yeah. were coming into the clinic. And that we've all grown comfortable to. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So the experience is actually foreign to the practitioners because now we have, I'm old school therapist. I like you in the office. I like to be close to you. I want yeah. to feel you. I want to hear yeah. you. And so that has been taken away completely. Yeah. There's been a, a rapid increase in substance use and abuse in, in the SUD clinics in the area. There's been a 50% increase in admissions and mm -hmm. enrollments of people mm -hmm. are medicating and, and using this backdrop uh, or responding to the backdrop with, you know, anxiety, depression, and, sure. and all kinds of things, and are uh, relying on substances, drugs and alcohol, to kind of get through it. What are your thoughts on that? Are you seeing that in your practice as well? You know, I'm seeing an increase in anxiety. I'm seeing an increase of, of mixed substance use. I'm seeing an increase in self-medication. I, I, interestingly enough, I actually just uh, signed on to a new telehealth platform to just help me manage my practice a little bit easier. And I've got 20 clients on there already. I've, I've been on this platform for a week and literally 20 clients are, are signed up on this thing, right? So there are a lot of people that are, that are reaching out in need of, of support. And it's, a lot of it is just affirming. That's and right. so for Absolutely. me, I, I need to recognize that this has been incredibly stressful on me. My entire life has changed, right? For a time I was doing double duty. I'm still in the military. So, you know, I was doing military duty and, and the college duty while maintaining the, the private practicing. My life continues down those three paths, right? So again, I'm going to go back to the notion of self-care and preparedness. When we can, when we have an element of anticipation, right, and can prepare for things, it makes it a little bit easier as we, as we walk down those paths. So what do we know that's coming? We knew another peak was coming. We did. Right? We knew that, that we, have, we, we already have the sort of compounding effect. I, I'm conscious of the fact that today is Friday the 13th and all the superstitions mm -hmm. around that. I'm conscious of the fact that we had a blue moon on Halloween and all the superstitions right. around And all of those <laughs> things that, that, you know, we joke about mental health, but we all know there's some, you know, there's some merit to, right? right? So right. We, all of those things are in compounding. So what do we have? We have a flu season. We have the inner allergy season. We have a, a flu season that is typically bad. We have this pandemic, all of which have similar symptoms, right? We have the holidays that are coming up. We have seasonal depressions that's coming that's up. That's right. And we have a change of year. And, oh, let's not forget this political madness that's going on in the country. That's a lot that we're all yes. carrying, right? So by doing what we just did, affirming that with each other, affirming the stress, affirming the fact that we are living in extraordinary abnormal times, we haven't had something like this in a hundred years. Right. We've never had this level of political discord in our country. 
right? And we've ne- so all of that is, is we're carrying together. But you know how we get through that? We get through it by knowing. We anticipate it, right? We can anticipate these things. We knew we were coming on this. So what did we do? What did, did we prepare ourselves? Do we have our emergency kits? On the more tangible side, you know, do we have food to stock up on the shelves? Are we going to run out of toilet paper again when that's short? All of those types of things that added stress, right? So the, the same premise that I would share, and if you look on Red Cross or Salvation Army or any of disaster response, they're going to have a, a basic plan. I get feeds from Maryland's Emergency Management Agency. Build your kit. And in your kit, you have, you know, your ID, you have all the things that you would need if you needed to leave your home quickly. And oh, by the way, this year, include a mask and hand sanitizer. That's right. That's right? right. So the same type of prepared, that, that notion that the Boy Scouts taught us, right? Be prepared. What does that really mean? Be prepared for those things that are going to rock you from your center so that they don't rock you from your center. And then anticipate that notion that things are, are abnormal right now. How can I maintain some level of routine? And right. most importantly, how can I take care of myself and those that are around me? Yes. I think it's important for us to do like this, right? So dialogue around our common experience validating that common experience, and sharing best practices and techniques. What would one do if they found themselves off of their center? They've moved beyond their baseline. Hmm. Um, And it's now, the manifestation is more really now clinical now. The symptoms of anxiety are there. The depression has got a hold on them. Uh, If they have a thought disorder, their voices might be more active or more pronounced. What would someone do who maybe has never... Uh, engage with behavioral health services, what would be your recommendation when you find yourself off your center? Yeah. Now it's the time to recenter. Now it's the time to engage, right? And don't be afraid to engage. That's a message we send folks all the time that it, it's okay to, to have to reach to someone else for a little bit of support. It's yeah. not a sign of weakness, mm-hmm. right? It's not a sign of uh, excessive vulnerability. And, and I'll harken back to, to my Hey Mr. moment, right? It wasn't a sign of weakness for that, for that gentleman to reach out to me. That's right. Fire chief to reach out to me. That wasn't a sign of weakness. That was a sign of just needing support. And and you know what? What? It it takes a lot. But in in that five minute, 10 minute conversation and that cup of coffee and at the time the cigarette, you know, he was able to pull himself back together to refocus and go back into his mission. That's right. Absolutely. It takes a lot of courage to walk into a treatment center or into a private practice. And raise your hand and say, I'm struggling right now. Absolutely. It takes Absolutely. a lot of courage and a lot of strength to affirm and admit and acknowledge that I'm in a struggle that's bigger than me right now and I need a little support. I need a little support. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm defeated. I'm trying to keep from being defeated. But boy, I could use a little bit of extra support and a little bit of boosting right now. Right. So do you find that the stigma of engaging with mental health services, that's kind of diminishing now? Are, are more people more amenable uh, to seek treatment from a, a LICSW or PhD level clinician? Yeah, you know, I'm hoping that folks are and that they're feeling comfortable with that. And they're not feeling that, that notion of self-defeat or worthlessness, right? And that we're making those resources more available. I, you know, Pride is a, is a nasty beast sometimes. It gets us in trouble, right? So I'm yes. hoping that we're all capable of recognizing. And again, I got to stress, these are extraordinary times. This is not normal. None of this has been normal, right? Oh. And to acknowledge that 
and to acknowledge the impact that this abnormal emergent situation has had on us is crucial, right? So I know I need to reach out and, and get support from folks, right? So I do think that, and I'm amazed by the telehealth platforms. There are several, um, you know, I'll mention Talkspace, BetterHelp, that, you know, you can, you can log on and do it on your phone, right? We can, have, I just yes. had a session, the young lady was sitting in a car on the phone and it was That's probably right. one of the most productive sessions I've That's had. Right. So you know what, if you're afraid to walk in my office, That's pick right. up your device and find me that way, right? Because it, the, right. the technology is catching up to us, being able to, and it, it's important because sometimes we just need someone neutral to talk to. I don't have a magic right. wand That's in my right. office. I got a whole bunch of paper behind a whole bunch of books, but there's no magic wand. My but you said it. Yeah. You my said it. Exactly. Exactly. And you said it. Affirming and validating the experience is the reassurance that many people need. Yeah. You know, the stress level hasn't risen to the to the level of pathology and diagnosis, but I just need an affirmation that what I'm feeling is relevant and yeah. consistent with and within proportion with the current stressor. It's not out of proportion. No, it's not. That's we right. all are feeling some level of anxiety right now. That's right. That's right. And, and the key with that, Paul, though, because I want to, this is important, right? Because we, there is that fine line between, you know, an elevated level of stress based on all the stuff that's going on and that, that little switch that'll happen real quick that'll that's go into right. the pathology. And that's what we want to catch, right? That's so right. So you, as you feel that, that sense of, of stress or anxiety or, or something's quite not right, that's when you reach out. So that we don't go down the path of having to, you know, self-medicate or it switches over the pathology or triggers, you know, pathologies and traumas that, that we've moved past and exactly. all of a sudden it's back again. Exactly. You referenced earlier just capacity of, of service provision. And in fact, telehealth uh, platform may have reduced capacity. Now, hmm. and why do I say that? Well, I know in our clinic, group therapy doesn't occur anymore right now. Right. We, we, we can't. Right. And so that, that style and modality, which is, is very helpful, especially for anxiety and mood disorders, we're just not available in the same way. Yeah. Uh, and, and in telehealth, as you said, if the practitioner is honoring their own state of health and monitoring that, we know that we can be on telehealth from nine in the morning until 10 o'clock with no breaks whatsoever. Absolutely. None. And I've, uh, regrettably, I've been in that position where I just go from session to session yeah. to session. And yeah. before you know it, I've done 10 or 12. And right. I'm not so sure how impactful and helpful I am at session number nine. Right. Absolutely. Because I'm fatigued and, and I'm also assuming a lot of the stress and, and emotional distress of, of the clients. Yeah. And so we, we have to manage as clinicians. What, what is your recommended mental health emergency plan? I mean, you said a lot. If you were to put it into three steps, what should we consider as a, a viable emergency behavioral health plan? I'm putting you on, yeah, on the spot. Think, think about this for a moment, right? So Please. in my wallet and, and on my refrigerator and in my profile for, at the college, it says, in case of emergency, call. In case of emergency, Look call. So the same thing. Who do, who do I call? Who does Phil right. call in case of emergency? Right, right. Right. And that so could include having, your, that includes that, my physician, my 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 significant other. That includes my my counselor. It includes my spiritual leader. Right, that's Who right. I call in case of emergency. And that's if you right. think about that, you know, physical health emergency, fire emergency, somebody shooting up outside that's emergency. Right. 
That's mental right. health emergency. Who That's do I, right. In case of emergency, who do I call? We maybe like need to get those, those red metal alert tags for that. That's right. Here's, here's, and, yeah. and Doc, are you, are you suggesting you actually put those numbers somewhere that are accessible? Oh, yeah. Uh, matter of yeah. fact, there wouldn't be shame if I actually placed that list on my refrigerator if I needed to. I don't know. It, Not, it needs to be that available. It's on a wallet card. When I'm in uniform, it's on a tag. Yes. <laughs> you know? I like yeah. that. I like yeah. that. And should everyone else in my network, in my family, in my household also know that list that I would need to relate to in the event Absolutely. of an emergency? Absolutely. In the event of, who do I call in the event of an okay. emergency? It, so it, to me, and I, I love that the, the lead that you guys gave to this because it is all about how we prepare, respond, mitigate, prepare, and respond, and recover from something that happens out of the normal. That's what a disaster or an emergency is, yes. something that's out of our normal, right? How do we prepare for it? Which, by the way, let me just say for a moment, most things can be anticipated. Most things we can plan for. We know we get hurricanes. We know we get earthquakes, right? We didn't think we got earthquakes around here, but we've had a couple, right? We know we get tornadoes. We know we have flooding. We know there are fires. We know that there are health conditions. We know that there are all of these things we can, we know that there are periodic pandemic type events, right? So we can prepare for these things well in advance, including that who to contact, who to call. Right. What else is important in that? How many of you still have what I call an evacuation plan? That's right. Let's say like something that. happened here in, in the, Del, in the, the, the DMV, and mm -hmm. we need to, to, to boogie out of town. Where's right. our family meeting place? That's right. I like that. Who's in that mm -hmm. list that we need to check in with, right? Absolutely. There's no difference. It's the same thing. Absolutely. Who's on my list that I need to check in with? I've got a list of family members that I text or check in with every day or every, at least once a week. We do a Skype once a week. That's no different from a, mm -hmm. a disaster, a, a uh, natural weather or, or man-made disaster has happened, and, and I need to buggy out to West Virginia where my mom is, and that's our rallying point. So my kids know, my spouse knows, and then anybody else in my close circle knows, no matter how you get there, everybody make your way out to Martinsburg, West Virginia. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's now, our check-in point, yeah. Now, Dr. Terry, before, before we are. Uh conclude, I wanted to get some sense from you. I know you, you're a professor and you teach at the college level students. And what impact has the pandemic had on the students' uh, performance academically and, and just their level functioning generally? What have you, yeah, what so have you I still teach a little bit. I'm, I'm a dean now, so I'm, I'm more administration than, okay. than teaching, which is regrettably. But I, you know, I, I took one for the team, it, as it were. It so. happens. <laughs> So it's a part of the process. It's right? part of the process, right? And one step closer to retirement. Yeah, that's right. uh, but so the uh, I, I'm seeing it on both my faculty and my students, right? I mm. see both. I do still stay in the classroom to keep myself uh, aware of what's happening. Yes, there. sure. We had to flip a switch, and we already had online education at, at my particular institution for some of the classes. All of them in my division, we did. That's not the case in every class, right? But March 16th, when we rolled out on spring break, everybody had full intention that we were going to be, but we we're going to extend spring break by a week and we'd all be back. That's right. I knew differently. I had sources that told me that that wasn't going to be the case. And I communicated right. that, at least with my team, hey, be prepared. There's that motto again, right? Be prepared. What will it look like if we need to extend this beyond what, what the college is currently saying? And lo and behold, we're now extended till this time next year in That's the same right. sort of operating mode. What am I seeing from my students? They're stressed. Yeah. My, my staff is stressed. My faculty are stressed because it's, again, we're operating in a different mode. But on the same token, I'm seeing students that are far more engaged. You know, we expect that they wouldn't chime in on this video conferencing thing. Actually, they are, right? They're chiming in a little bit better with the video conferencing thing. But they're, they're, it's yes. a different type of stressors. 
I'm hoping that my faculty, and in fact, I've encouraged my faculty, again, self-care, take care of yourself, but understand that your students, compassion. There's that word. Ooh, That's like the word that. I'm looking for, compassion, right? Like that. Yes. Understand that your students are experiencing the same stress and trauma that you are. You asked right. me, faculty member, last week, hey, I can't teach that class because my kids are home and I'm having to take care of them and attend to homeschool. Cool. I can make that adjustment for you. So when your student asks you, hey, I can't for an accommodation paper <laughs> because, right. you know, I'm taking care of my mom and my grandmom and my kids and I have to work. Can I get an extension? Have that same grace and compassion for others as you would want for yourself. You're absolutely right. What is the biggest challenge we're facing right now? What's the biggest challenge that's in front of us yet unrealized? Wow. That's a great question. So uh, if I go back to my notion of preparedness, it mm -hmm. is being prepared for the absolute worst and hoping for the absolute best, right? We are, again, we're in extraordinary times. So when I, when I say be prepared for the absolute worst, what would it look like for you now if everything shuts down again? That's right. That's and right. There may, you go. Right? Yes. It may. So are you going to panic like we did in March? Or have you, every week you've gone to the grocery store, you picked up that extra pack of toilet paper so that you wouldn't have to worry about the shelves being empty. It's profound. When I walked into Sam's Club, uh, in, I hate, I'm not doing a commercial here, but in April or May, and you know, Sam's Club has stacks upon stacks of stuff up to the ceiling. And you walk in and those shelves are empty. That was a warning sign for me, right? It was, so yeah. are we prepared for things that could happen and, and, you know, we're coming up on snow season around here. We already know. We already know people panic and, 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 and deplete the shelves. We reduce our stress by being prepared for that. So my, my message to that would be, are you prepared to, I'm going to go back to our opening statement, mitigation, preparedness, response, recovery, yes. hazard analysis, right? Mitigation is minimizing the, the potential for impact of anything out of the extraordinary regardless of what it That's is. Right. Hazard analysis is that notion of, in, in emergency management, we call it an all-hazards approach. We mm. prepare for, we have an all-hazards plan. It's a plan, it's on every shelf and every emergency manager, every mayor, every city official has one, right? It's a plan for how do we respond to emergency X. Here's our baseline response, Okay. And here are what we call annexes. Annexes are the nuances. What do we do if it's this kind of emergency? What do we yes. do if it's that kind of emergency? That's, it's, it's standard in the United States. Every, every jurisdiction has one or two, right? We should have our own, our, all, our own all-hazards plan, right? Yeah. What do we do if X? What do we do if, if I can't get to the pharmacy? What's my backup plan? What do I do if I can't get to the clinic that uh, provides my medication or, or if I can't get to my therapist? What's my backup plan? What do right. I do if I, if I can't reach the, this particular individual? What's my backup plan, right? And then we mitigate to keep those things from having a, an impact. What is the mitigation in the disaster world? That's where instead of building your house on the same level in a flood zone, you put it up on stilts. Right, you, you minimize the risk by, right. by either eliminating it, right? Yes. So we do the same thing in our lives. Okay. How do I okay. mitigate against the potential disruption mm -hmm. of my normalcy? You know, we're gonna to have to have you come back and really focus on the development of that hazard plan and really instruct our, our, our viewers 
on how to create a viable plan that would work for them. And it, I'm sure it would be, it would be individualized. It's yeah. not one plan fits all. Right. It's really based on your needs. Listen, we could go on and on, and, and we're definitely going to invite you back. You just the information and knowledge and expertise you you command is just so impressive and uh, important for us to have available to us at this time. But I would be remiss if I didn't close just let's exploring one other area and aspect of your your identity. Um, I understand that you um, you produce seven albums and there's some productions in theater. As a matter of fact, I, I thought I would um, challenge you here to see if we could. Uh, um, That's no fair, man. You didn't warn me. My drums are downstairs. Maybe, maybe we could close out with a song. But on a serious note, I, I manage bands. And, and during the pandemic, you know, the music industry is completely shut down. Yeah, yeah. And absolutely. the impact it's had on musicians has just been remarkable and longstanding. Yeah. Um, no one's performing. Yeah. in any venue right now. And it looks like that's going to continue from time to time. Quite some time, but, yeah. But anyway, I use the music in that, that venue as my time. Absolutely. You talked about practitioners taking care of self. And yep. so I know you're into music. You have seven albums of theater. So tell me a little bit how you balance the two. Tell me more about the music piece. And yeah, so here's, here's the real deal. What I haven't disclosed, but if you haven't figured it out yet, you could probably, as a clinician, see that there's ADHD written all over me, man, because it is. I'm, I'm, I own it. It's mine, it, and it's how I've managed okay. to live through my life, right? So the okay. music for me is that respite. That's my, that's my recluse. That's where I go, and that's where I, my source of spirituality comes from as well, right? So I, I center myself right. in the music, and I, I, I'm a percussionist. is my primary instrument, right? So everybody in the house knows. That if Doc goes downstairs in the studio and closes the door and starts banging on the drum, give him a minute. That's right. <laughs> give him a, there's yep. two clues. Yep. One, I go for a walk, and then two, yep. I go down to the drum, right? And that's, mm -hmm. that's how I get that frenetic energy out, and that's how I connect yep. with my core center. That's how I recenter myself. You know, I, yeah. I did um, a number of part-time gigs. That's how I did the three pants. Military reserves. I taught part-time um, at both college and at, at the high school level, and theater and music were, were a part of that, right? So, in fact, that's how Will, Will and I met, right? I was teaching part-time with, with UDC at the time, and, and then we both went over to, to Catholic Charities together, right? So, in between all of that, I, I kept myself grounded in working with teens and using theater and music as a way of, of giving them an outlet, and I did that through a local high school here in Anaroma County. Best experience I've ever had. Dr. Terry, you promised me when we invite you back, and we really would like to have you back to talk more about this hazard plan that we all can develop that's yeah. individualized. I would hope that maybe in the introduction or the beginning of the show, we could do a song together. Okay. That has some power. What do you think? Yeah. yeah. That has some all right. Was that a bass guitar? No, no. That's a lead. It's, it's a lead. lead. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh -huh. I, I, didn't, I didn't count the number of strings. Okay. Maybe we can go there. We can go there. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. <laughs> Listen, right. thank you so much for your time. And uh, I know this, this airing is going to get a lot of attention and, and I know we're going to get a lot of feedback. It's been very helpful. I look forward to continuing the collaboration with you professionally. And uh, until next time, be safe. Yeah, man. Be well. Absolutely. Hey, I want to just say folks can reach out to me by hitting me up at coachpositive.com. Um, mm -hmm. Coachpositive.com. You go to the website and it'll, it'll link to it to get to us and everything. Um, I enjoy having conversations with you all. And absolutely, man, be safe, be well, take care of yourself because you can't take care of other people if you don't take care of you. That's right. Thank you so much. Peace and blessings. All right, blessing. man. All right. Bye -bye. Take care.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.